This is my comeback. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to the Comeback. It's podcast time. Excited to be back with you guys. We are focusing on people's testimonies, their journey from addiction to redemption here on the Comeback. Very excited to be here with my friend Brian Bush, yes, sir. cornerback from Dalton, Georgia. <laughs> Some of the highlights that I know about Brian's life. You know, before we jump into his story, when you work in the field of recovery, and especially when you're on the front end of that journey, the front lines of of running a treatment center, that what oftentimes gets the majority of our attention are crisis moments, trying to get somebody out of active addiction, and then the triage that happens when, you know, they they finally make it through the doors and, you know, everything in them sometimes are trying to pull them back out the door. So a lot of our energy goes to those types of, of situations. And unfortunately, you know, it can feel like, you know, sometimes if you're not careful to intentionally focus on the success stories, I mean, you just think that's what you do. You think it's what you do for a living. You just run around and, you know, and you're you're always, you know, trying to fight with somebody that's that's in a very broken state of mind uh, to prevent them from going out the door. But I am here with my friend Brian today to focus on his story, and he is one of the many many success stories that has come out of Good Landing Recovery. Brian, it has been a privilege to get to know you. Um, just to watch the the man that you're becoming, everything that God has deposited on the inside of you, and the fact that you have used God's grace to 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 take the opportunity to really turn into this thing. So, just awesome, man. Yes, sir, man. It's a pleasure for you to have me on here. Uh, yeah, it means a lot for me to be working here. When I first got here, it was the last thing I thought I could have been doing. I mean, it was hard for me to even like remember my name. You yeah. know, when I first got here, I was so out of it, and uh, just to think that I'm actually able to come in and work for y'all and give others what was so gratefully given to me, it's, awesome. it's such a privilege. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a big deal for us, too, man. It really is. Um, tell me, you know, your, your drug of choice was... Heroin. Heroin. Yeah, opiates, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, when I when I think about a heroin addict and the way the media likes to portray heroin addicts... Um, you really don't fit that description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've seen on uh, TV, uh, not looking very homely and homeless. So yeah, it's just like all my friends. That's how we got away with it for so long. I, I really think because we just didn't fit the description of your average drug addict. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents out there are just are wondering. And you're sitting there and you're looking. You know, they're looking at at a son or a daughter who. Uh, doesn't look like they live inside of a dumpster and you know they're not just sitting around scratching themselves all the time or well yeah however the media wants to portray a a junkie and what you know just just for a minute as I talk to parents that don't don't let the stigma of addiction keep you from getting your loved one help just because they might not fit your picture of what a heroin addict should look like because I'm sitting here with a guy right now that has now got you know a significant amount of time removed from active addiction. He's helping other people out of the same hell that he was once caught in, and it's all because his parents chose to take the step uh, to to get him help when you know, and, and it was probably 
you know, to pull the Band-Aid off of that thing was, was probably a little uncomfortable for them. But anyway, I just want to remind you parents, if you're out there, you're listening, don't let another second go by if you know that your child or your loved one is caught in the grips of active addiction. So back to Brian's story. Brian, can you just give me a little summary of, of what it was like growing up for you? Yeah, um, from uh, Dalton, Georgia, a small town, northwest Georgia, close to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had both parents, a loving mother, loving father, two, uh, two sisters. I was the middle child. Everything I could have asked for in a family a great family just played sports all the way up to high school when you were coming up I mean as far as you know talk to me a little bit about you know family interactions I mean you know was there any any brokenness at the family level or I mean you came up in a, in a no in a, yeah it came up in a great family I mean any like anything I could have asked for my parents gave me you've got siblings yeah I got an older sister and a younger sister are they doing heroin? No, we no. We had a my cousin. I have cousins and struggled with addiction. My my father's dad was never around. He was an alcoholic, but mother and father never had any type of trouble or no problems with any of that stuff. Did they fail you as parents? No, not at all. No. I mean, obviously, I'm being silly yeah. right here because again, that stigma. Where did we go wrong? And when when we think about addiction and realizing there is a disordered brain chemistry, a genetic predisposition for a lot of us. Some people can learn addiction because of trauma or some mental health factors or some outside variables that that may drive someone to learning to be dependent on uh, a, a, a mind-altering substance. But I think you you sound like you're you're a lot like me. You know, that, that when as soon as is alcohol or, you know, maybe even nicotine hits my hits my body, that it set this thing. I mean, it put the train into motion. Yeah, I definitely remember the moment that happened. Uh, I mean, I, I drank alcohol and smoked a little pot out through high school, but it, uh, it happened a football injury mm-hmm. my senior year. And um, I, rem- I remember the moment in the ambulance. And the first time I experienced morphine, I knew that was that was it. That's wow. what I wanted, and I, I I had to chase that. And like I was in severe pain, but as soon as that hit me, I felt like you know everything was right. Yeah, everything felt comfortable. You know, my anxiety, everything was gone, and I wanted to feel that again. So I chased that as soon as I had the opportunity to go after it. Yeah. Wow, how old were you when that football injury happened? Eighteen, eighteen years old. Yes, sir. Wow. So you're a senior. Yes. So up until then, I mean, you're just going through high school, mm-hmm. playing sports. Yes. Physically fit. Yes, sir. I mean, partied a little bit, but it didn't have control of you. No. No, no, not at all. And on yes. a ride to the ER. Yes, sir. Football game, football practice. It was a game, yeah. State. It was in the second round of state. Friday football. night. Yes, sir. Friday night. Yeah, I separated my shoulder, and they couldn't put it back in place. So on the ambulance ride, the guy was... Pumping me, pumping me full of uh, morphine, and that was—I knew that was it. That was what I wanted, and I knew I could find a way to get that because I had family members who were already into that game, and uh, you know, I, I seeked out to them. Wow! And then did you go straight? Were you IV user? I w- I snorted f- for a while until um, I was shown different. Did your parents IV? know you're an IV user? No, they did not. Do they know right now? Yes. Okay, yes, I just yes. want to make sure we weren't blowing your cup no, on the podcast. No, no, <laughs> We'd have to edit that part. They, yeah, they actually, 
I actually found out that was years, years later. They found out I was out of town working, and I, I got fired. And my boss was so like terrified that what I, what I was doing when he found out, he uh, called either my mom or dad, I forget, and let them know what they had found and how concerned they were. And you know, they gave me the option of go to rehab or you're fired. And I chose, you know, I'll see y'all later. I'm yeah, a, I'm gonna continue getting high. Which is just insane, but wow. So football injury, a paramedic, a licensed medical professional is what sets this whole thing into motion. And you get out, you start I mean you, did you finish high school? Yeah, finished high school, graduated, um ended up going to the University of West Georgia. But you know, I was already into, you know, doing pills every single day. Play football or just no, um, after the injury, I was, you done. know, I, I just wanted to be done with it. I had had opportunities to go and play, but by then I was just so far gone into the drug game, it was over. Yeah. And that, of course, uh, flunked out because I only had one thing on my mind that was getting high and getting more of it. To set that After I left college, it set me into a, da- a huge downward spiral of my drug addiction. So they parents make great sacrifice to see their baby boy go to West Georgia. Yeah, tons of sacrifices, yes. And and wanted to see you, you know, go over there. Do you, do you have a declared major your, your freshman year? Or we just I was going, going uh, to go into computer science to try to get involved with the family business, but, you know, I never even got far into it. So computer science, I mean, so everybody's there super hopeful. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking about so many parents right now that, you know, they're sending, you know, little Johnny off to college and he's going to go over there and just crush it, has all the potential, raised you right, only to find out that you're not going to class, that you're getting high all day, every day. There is no computer science degree that's in the foreseeable future and now you're back home, and everything is just a complete mess. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, that's. And then, and then so, so like we, so you get back home. You know, you fl- you flunk out of West Georgia, and then you're there living at home, trying to manage this heroin addiction. Yeah, it it got you know it, it finally got to the point after they you know found the figured out I was an IV drug user that you know they just it was a constant battle between me and my family and then. Me, uh, you know, going to live somewhere else and living at a buddy's house or trying to get my own apartment or my own house and then losing that and couch surfing for years. And when I had no other options, I would finally go to rehab, you know, just because I had nowhere else to stay or nowhere else to live. And um, But no intention of getting clean. No. So no, you're just kicked all. out of your parents' house, don't want to be homeless. Did did you live and and couch surf or you know hang out with different friends for any extended period of time or it was pretty much the second that your parents were like Brian we're done yeah. at that point you're saying hey I'm I'm ready for treatment yeah m- most most of the time it was it, I would have I would I call it uh, mom dated instead of mandated you yeah. know. Uh, you know, right. it's either you get kicked out or, you know, you need to go to rehab. So I'd go go somewhere and usually either get kicked out of there or 
get yeah. out of rehab for because I just wanted to get high still. Yeah, I just I needed a place to stay. <laughs> but but I also want parents to take note that in in the majority of of situations you have the power. You know, and parents come in or saying, "Why well, I need little Johnny for it to be his decision? Why would it be his decision? Little Johnny hasn't made any good decisions ever." <laughs> Right. So there's this sense of of saying that even though you didn't want to go, when your parents finally put their foot down, they get on a united front. Brian, you can no longer live here, even though it was mom dated, is you know, to use your terminology, the deal is is that they still put you in an environment that likely saved your life. Yes, hundred percent. Because if you would have kept if you would have stayed out there, even though you didn't even get it, you know, it's the whole thing whenever somebody finally shows up at treatment and they say, Well, I've been through nine treatment centers and they didn't work. Um yeah, yes, they did. <laughs> so what what didn't work is is that you didn't do what they told you to do or the addict didn't do what they told them to do. And so um, you know, that that's just the but 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 it's oftentimes it's part of the process. And I know the reason that we're in this studio together today. The reason I am here with you is because my parents did the exact same thing. When I would get out there and start running hard, I mean, you would have pulled me out of a trap house dead. I mean, I never was going to be like, you know what? I think I ought to get some help. It just didn't even, you know, I might sit around and, and entertain those thoughts or whatever, but I was never, as long as I had a safe place to go and stay and I wasn't full-blown homeless, I was never going to have the idea of, you know what, today would probably be a good day to go check myself in. You're just so caught up in the cycle that it's just normally never going to happen. At least it wasn't for me anyway. And I know textbook perfect. You would love for the addict to show up and they're crying and, you know, please, mom, put me in treatment. But if they're not going to do that, then parents have to use, because, I mean, you know, Georgia specifically is is not a very friendly state. There's not legislation in place um you know outside of the uh what's the code for the uh for the mental health hold 1019 or 1013 1013 yeah so like for example where i'm from in mississippi i mean it was pretty much my dad would make a phone call up to region one mental health and say my my son my son's doing drugs and they are going to you know then send a sheriff deputy to come and grab me from wherever i'm at put me in a holding cell until they can have a bed for me at, at whatever treatment center that they've chosen. And so th- those things aren't intact here, you know, f- unless you're going to 1013 somebody and they've threatened to harm themselves or harm somebody else. So um, what, what families have to do here is just get very strategic on how they're going to communicate to their loved one and making sure that there's not a weak link there. Okay, mom has put her foot down, you know, but dad's going to secretly continue to to feed the habit. That can't happen. That's the worst thing that somebody could do for the addict. Um, so, you know, you go through treatment centers. You were mom, mom dated, weren't, weren't really, you know, excited about all of that. And then um, on this last go round, I mean, were you mom dated here? Or was well, it? Oh, no. Well, I got, I, I ended up meeting a, uh, a woman at a treatment center and we ran off together and that turned into a five-year relationship that we lived together in the house that was a total nightmare and um and then i you know ended up getting in trouble so the rehab started becoming mandated by the courts so um i remember 
I'd gotten kicked out of another, you know, gotten kicked out of a treatment center and ended up at a, and a sent by the judge to a place called a Penfield, um, Penfield Ministries. Yeah, I know that place. And right. um, and uh, I remember both uh, you, Trey, and Daniel, and uh, another guy, Rush, were um, down there speaking one day. And I knew I knew right then when y'all were speaking that's where I needed to needed to be and that's where I wanted to go. But when I graduated Penfield. Uh, unfortunately, was I had to go back to the treatment center the judge had mandated me to and complete it, and um, ended up my probation and everything ran out before I completed, so I ended up taking off again, and then uh, you know uh, it got to a point again where I had you know lost lost a girlfriend, lost a house, and uh, back at mom and dad's. Almost thirty, you know, hmm. and uh, you know they were about to kick me out again. I had no money saved from my job because it's all the drug use. All my money's gone, and uh, you know before they could even, I already knew the intervention was coming, and I said I need to go, I need to go to Good Landing, and I, you know, you know I need to go to a rehab. And right, four days later, four or five days later, I was here. Awesome, yes, sir. Yeah. So, and and again, and and I love that because, you know, what, what you saw the handwriting on the wall. You knew that the intervention was coming, um, so you went ahead and and got on board. But again, because you had a family that said we're not going to co-sign this, we're not going to just continue to watch our son die right here in front of our face, and you knew it. Everybody knows it. When when that when that is sitting right here where they've got the ability to be able to influence your life, they're going to influence you to get back into a place. And this time you come and, um, you know, I mean, I, I guess too, before, I mean, I know your story. So before I sum it up, you know, what, um, like what, what, what happened since you've, since you've been here? As soon as I got here, I just jumped right into everything. Just tried to learn as much as I could. I, my, just try to actually build a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ that I've never done before and really getting into the Bible and, you know, actually waking up in the morning, getting down on my knees and praying, you know, something I've never done before and just building my relationship back with Him. And, uh, you know, since I've been doing that, I mean, my life has just done a complete 180 and I don't see myself ever trying to go back to the lifestyle I was before because... um I was actually telling my mom the other day, you know, I was just by myself in my room a couple of days ago and just thinking to myself, I can ever, I can never remember being as happy as I am right now in my life. So why, you know, why would I ever want to go back to my old lifestyle? So, so your your relationship with the Lord, I mean, is that something that that you had as a child and you've reconnected, or is it something just completely brand new? It's um, I was raised. You know, I was raised Catholic as a child, and it's never, you know, I was always taught to go, to, you know, go to church and pray, but it's my relationship was never really there until, yeah. really, until I got to Penfield is when it really took off, and uh, you know, I lost it in a little bit of that time frame when I relapsed after Penfield, but since I've got here, it's 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 bigger and better than ever. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
That's awesome, man. You know, it, and, it, and it really is. Um, when, when I think about, you know, we, I think I spent up even recently in a lot of my teachings, we've been going through the book of, of Galatians, and I've been talking about, um, or I should say, Paul, the author of Galatians, has been talking about um, relationship and faith in Christ and not dead religion. And I think so many people are just trying to check the box. You know, did did I go to mass? Did I go to church? You know, did I did I say the prayer? Check the box, and all of that um, done from the wrong place is man's attempt to be able to bridge or to uh, earn their way into God's favor. And Paul in that in that book is saying that's not the way that it works. Like you can't do that. You cannot earn God's favor. It is through faith in Christ alone, believing in that sacrifice. And that's the game changer. And that's the freedom that we're looking for when we understand, man, Jesus really did. He took all of the stuff that we did, all of the all of the times that you've messed up holidays, all the times that you put a needle in your arm, all the times that you have just completely wrecked your life that Jesus took on all of that sin, paid the price for that sin so that people like me and you get to walk free. And that's what it's all about. So it has just been an incredible time having you on the podcast. I look forward to doing it again real soon. Appreciate you. Grateful for you. And um, it's just going to be a great season. Yes, sir. Thank you, Trey. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.